this morning. <clears throat> I had a hard time finishing this message. Every time I close my laptop and I think, okay, I'm done now, I think of something else I want to say. I'll write something differently, even this morning. The concept of love is foundational to our faith. It is so encompassing with what a person says, or rather, um, it's so encompassing, it's difficult to decide what to say on it in a single sermon, or, or worse, uh, it's difficult to decide what to leave out because everything seems so essential. Remember when we went through Romans 12 and we looked at the summary, we called it the summary of what it looks like to live out our faith. The series was called Let Love Be. That's how Paul introduces it. We looked at how God's love and our reflection of his love um, should touch every aspect of our Christian faith. John Phillips said um, in a commentary about the passage we're going to look at today, the driving force behind our Lord's behavior in all places and all times and under all circumstances was love. But we can be stubborn. We can be hard-headed. We can lose our way like walking around in a familiar room when all the lights are put off. Perhaps you can feel your way generally around to the toilet or wherever. But as soon as there's a single unknown factor, as soon as there's something to throw you off, we stumble. We're very sometimes unresolute in, in how we love as Christians. Let us be reminded then today of the love that must shape our every action, prompt our every thought, and motivate our every word. In today's passage, we are looking at Luke 6 from verse 27 and Jesus continues his discourse again we find a near side-by-side -side comparison with the words in Matthew once again the Sermon on the Mount and again Luke chose to emphasize certain aspects over others but Jesus continues his revolution a revolution of thought and ideas, not the kind of re resolution that aims to usurp or depose the authority of the law, but one that rather aims to restore the authority that was taken away to ultimately fulfill the law. The law because it had already been replaced, in a sense, by the interpretations of the day. We read in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You have heard that it has, um, sorry, you have heard that it has been said, 
In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, he says it several times, but here in verse 43, you have heard that it has been said, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Does it say that? Well, yes, it does. It says the first part of it. In Leviticus 19, chapter 18, Jesus was referring back to the law. And he, uh, this is what it says in Leviticus. Um, <clears throat> I'm actually going to read a few verses before that just to give you a bit of context. So Leviticus chapter 17. Listen carefully. Um, chapter 19, verse 15. You shall not do unrighteousness in a court. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person who is great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand by while the life of your neighbor is in danger. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely reason honestly with your neighbor. You shall not suffer sin again because of him. And not suffer sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then the people of the day reasoned to themselves in our own mighty intellect. If we are to love our neighbor then by contrast, we are to hate our enemies. And that's what they taught the people. And that's why Jesus says, you have heard, but I say unto you. Jesus reminds them of this ancient law. And when he died on the cross and rose again, our dependence then shifted from the law unto Jesus. And he did not contradict any of it, but he came to complete it. So with that in mind, let us read Luke chapter 6 from verse 27 and then pray. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer him also the other. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic as well. Give to everyone who asks of you. And of him who takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. Do unto others as you would have the others do unto you. For if you love those who love you, what thanks do you receive? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what thanks do you receive? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what thanks do you receive? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much in return. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping 
for nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the highest, for he is kind, he, God, is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. <clears throat> Dear Lord, I pray that as we revisit once again the concept of unconditional love, that you help us uh, apply it rightly in our lives, and that we may be a testimony and bring glory to your name. Amen. So how do we love others is the million rand question for so many of us. It was spelt out in the law, right? A checklist. Do this, don't do that. But how are we supposed to follow the leading of the Spirit? What does that even mean? We sometimes overlook clear biblical instruction and hide behind this excuse, I think, at least for me. It's all too vague to apply. Well, here it is in our passage this morning. <clears throat> it says in verse 27 and 28, I'm going to repeat it, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. How do we love our enemies? One, we do good. So we love our enemies through our deeds and our actions. To bless those who curse you. How do we love our enemies? Through blessing them. Through our sacrifices. Even if that may be time and money or our own pride. <clears throat> and number three, pray for those who spitefully use you. <clears throat> How do we love our enemies? By praying for them. This is how we love. Everything after these two verses <clears throat> is an explanation about these things. He breaks it up and goes into detail. Jesus repeats himself several times to make his point clear. <clears throat> he uses illustrations. He applies it with practical examples. He makes sure that there is no ambiguation and no vagueness on how we are to love. <clears throat> so through our deeds. Let's look at the first one. How do we love through our deeds? Well, there are many ways, but here specifically, <clears throat> let's think about how we can hate someone first. I think that's maybe an easier concept to get to. And then from there, <laughs> if someone does evil to you, what is the most tangible, practical, reliable way you can do evil to them. <laughs> Punch them. <clears throat> Violence is such a primal, universal language. Forget music. In the West, if someone's far off, how do you greet someone to show that you're at peace with them? Hi. 
if they're far off and you want to threaten them. In the East, in the ancient China, they would greet people by covering their fist to show that we, 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 we come in peace. I don't mean harm against you. Have you seen that? That's what they do. That's all it means. A human being can become so enraged, so filled with hatred, that we can, he can murder another person, a stranger in the street, for rear-ending them in an accident. We call it road rage. Here's the connecting verse in Matthew chapter 5. This is from verse 38. It says, you have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever strikes you in your right cheek, turn to him the other as well. Does that mean that we can't defend ourselves if our life is at risk? No, of course not. You should defend our, uh, yourself. Does that mean that <clears throat> um, you can't take action if a crime has been committed against you? No, of course not. You should take legal action. You should, um, you know, <laughs> not just let people... Um, Free. That's not what we're seeing here. <clears throat> Gandhi famously quoted that an eye for an eye would make the whole world blind. I don't know if you heard that. And everyone nods in agreement. Yeah, that sounds kind of right. It's vague enough to sound wise. It wasn't about retribution, that law, an eye for an eye. It does say that. It was about justice. When someone takes a tooth, our natural human response is to take their entire jaw. When someone takes an eye, our natural human response is retribution. I'll take, I'll remove your head from your body, never mind an eye. The law was about restraint. Let the punishment fit the crime. It was about justice. But Jesus says, no, go beyond that. True fairness, true justice puts aside material value. It puts aside human pride and ego. It puts aside being right for the sake of it. It puts aside the scratch on my car or the coffee that has been spilt on my shirt. It puts aside the bruise on my cheek. For the sake of God's glory. Here's an example. <clears throat> Let's say the person that you love the most in this world had gone through something unspeakable and they're grieving bitterly. And in their grief, they throw something at you. 
or they hit you, or they shout mean things to you, hurtful things, what rational person would throw something back? We would understand the circumstance. We would have compassion. We would see where it is coming from, right? Jesus calls us to do that with strangers as well. I don't know why this man is shouting in my ear when he's the one that bumped into me. But you know what? There's something more important than the dent in my car and the need to be right. It's the glory of God that's at stake. How else can we show someone that we love them through our sacrifices? For most, it would be our time, our money, but there are other things that we can call or use to bless others. So last week, we looked at a possible definition of what blessing means. We said, a reason to be happy. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed and the Beatitudes, and we have reason to be happy. <clears throat> and so we can bless others, we can give others a reason to be grateful and to be happy. Whether that gratitude or that joy is actually there is another point. We give them reason. That's how we bless. To bless our enemies is hard. Lord, I would rather pay 10,000 rand to charity than admit that I did something wrong or that I should apologize. My pride is at stake. It can be a sacrifice to bless our enemies, but it's one that we must make. Even the Old Testament in Proverbs, and Paul even speaks on it in Romans, uh, talking about love. And we see the Bible is all interconnected and interwoven. Proverbs 25, verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink for you will heap coals of fire upon his head. Does that mean that uh, when someone breaks into our house, we should unlock the door for them or help them carry our TV out to their car? No, of course not. It's about being impartial with what we are able to give. Here is an example I think that we can all relate to. Let's say you are waiting at Highfalt Mall, the underground parking there, and you're about to pay your ticket to leave. <clears throat> and there's someone in front of you, and they're searching for a five rand to pay their car ticket. And they turn around to you, and as you open up your hand to look for change, there's the change for your ticket, and there's an extra five rand. And they turn to you and say, 
do you have five rand for me? My wallet or my changes at home, whatever, uh, I just need five rand to pay my parking ticket. If it was someone neutral, I'm sure we would, uh, you know, unless we're intentionally malicious, you know, help that person out. What if that person was a famous celebrity? Tom Hanks or George Clooney or the person you love the movies or a Nobel Prize winner? What if it was Nelson Mandela himself? He, yes, of course, please take, and, you know, what else can I do for you? How can I help you? Maybe not so exaggerated. What if it was the other way around? What if it was somebody that you've been holding a grudge against for the last 10 years? What if it's your um, ex-business partner that cheated you out of hundreds of thousands of rands? What if it's a partner that cheated you, <laughs> that was unfaithful to you? What if it was someone you disagreed with politically or ideologically and you have this five rand? <laughs> we can love our enemies by blessing them. And it's about impartiality. It's not about giving what we don't have. We don't take food out of the mouths of our family just to give to everyone because that's apparently what this verse is saying. No, it's not. <clears throat> when we lend money or when we give of our time to help someone and they're not and they don't swoon over us with gratitude or they turn around the next day and do something hurtful or they stab us in the back or whatever <clears throat> and now our we will unleash our holy retribution upon them no Third way we can bless our enemies is through our prayers, petitions to God. There is something raw, there is something honest, unfiltered when we pray. There is no veneer of I'm fine when it comes to speaking to God. Go into a quiet room and to honestly pray for someone who hurt you takes humility. It takes at least the first step in forgiveness. It, it takes something of ourselves to do that when there's no one else to hear except God. And we don't just pray so we can tick it off. That's not how it works with God, and we know that. And if we were alone in our rooms and we didn't feel like praying for someone, how many of us would honestly do it anyway? But to say, to get to a place where we can pray for our enemies, 
It takes an understanding that ultimately we are no better off than anyone around us. We are as deserving of God's wrath. And that we are saved because of the grace of God. There is no ulterior motives when we pray like that. So how can we love our enemies when we sincerely pray for them? But why? <clears throat> There's always a why, and I love that about Scripture. We are never just asked to believe blindly. We are given motivation to do the things that we must do. <clears throat> At the bottom of uh, the passage here in verse 35, it says, I'm going to read it again, but love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. So he repeats the, the he summarizes it, and then he says, then your reward will be great. One. And you will be sons of the highest. Two. He gives us two reasons why we should love our enemies. A reward will be great. Because of our eternal treasure, heavenly reward, it's not vain or prideful to say that we look forward to whatever awaits us in eternity, it's good. <laughs> Jesus says in his own words in Matthew, do not lay up earthly treasures, but labor for uh, and work for an incorruptible treasure. There is going to be something in heaven for each of us based on what we do with what we have been given here on earth, for his name's sake. We don't work to earn salvation, but those who are saved, when every day is a gift from God, how do we invest that? If there is value in time, do we invest it in gaining earthly wealth and stature, do we invest it in something greater than us, greater than ourselves? There, there is something in heaven for each of us. Imagine one day in eternity, there, uh, there's just, there's one person, one person living in the love of God eternally, because the Spirit used your testimony to convict them, to bring them to repentance. Just one person. Wouldn't that be amazing? But imagine the inverse. How many people, how many hundreds of people are not going to stand with, with us in eternity because of our temporal need for satisfaction for retribution, to hold on to what is ours. And that caused them to turn away from the prompting of the Spirit. 
Think about that as a reward, if nothing else. And number two, it says we will be called sons of the highest, children of God. The other reason we, that motivates us to love our enemies is because of who God is. God himself is merciful. Did he not save us from judgment, from receiving what we all deserve because he loves us? I'm sure he loved the Romans that whipped him, that hung him to the cross. Even at the cross, he demonstrated his love. Indeed, the cross itself, where he gave his life for us. But also, as he hung there, he, he turned up and he prayed. He said, have mercy on them, for they know not what they do. He prayed for those who persecuted them because he is a merciful God. If our God is merciless, merciful to the rebellious, to the sinful, to the ungrateful world, he shows grace. How can we ourselves be above that? Should we not as believers, emanate and reflect that in our deeds. Here's the verse in Matthew as we continue to um, draw the lines. Verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. <coughs> So what's the golden rule? In the middle, um, in verse 31 of Luke 6, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Many times in biblical writing, they would put the, the thrust of the idea, the main point in the middle, we would put it at the end, you know, but it was like a hinge if you think about it practically. And here we see, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's often expressed in the negative. Don't hit someone because you wouldn't want them to do it to you. Don't gossip about someone because you wouldn't want them to do it to you. But there's a fuller idea here when we state it in the positive sense. As you would like to be ideally treated how would a stranger with unconditional love and impartiality help me when i don't have five rand to pay for my parking ticket when i need help even though i might not deserve it even though
I showed contempt to the person that would help me. I should do no different thing. So to get back to our revolutionary thinking, who is our neighbor? If we were Jews, it would be the Samaritans. That's what Jesus taught. And the Romans and the Greeks, if we were Samaritans, it would be the Jews. If our love does not penetrate these barriers, does not show the glory of God, love that overcomes gender, racial bias, that can overcome social status and past sins, that is what we as children of God must strive for. Let's pray. Dear Lord, once again, we thank you for this time and we thank you that we can learn about your teachings, about how to love. And Lord, we are humbled and grateful that you have shown your love to us. That Jesus Christ died for us on the cross and rose again, that we may be reconciled to you. We thank you, Lord. And we ask that we can show even a fraction of that love and reflect it to the world for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.